Jesus. Wow. That's powerful, right? Mm. You can't see it. There's just piles of shame on either side of this altar. You with me? Piles of it. Angels, you can't see them. They're over there. Angels just got shovels. Just cleaning it up. Cleaning it up. Cleaning it up. Whew. Thank you, Pastor Oswaldo and your lovely wife, Luciana, for being with us in your congregation right there. Give us a wave. So good. Oh, no. We're, we're going to return the favor. We're going we're gonna to figure it out. We're going to come see you on, sun, on a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. I'm going to get my blazer out. They look nice when they come to church. I'm going to get my jacket out. So good. So good. Hmm. We bless your name. I'm going to skip that first slide so you can just blow past that. I'm going to move that to next week. I'm going to jump right in here. We're introducing a new, new series tonight called Sh Shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. T tonight's message, we'll see. We're gonna, I'm not, I don't want to rush through it. We might do a part one and a part two for tonight's message to do an introduction into the series because it's not just a, a series on what we're going to be teaching about Shalom, but, but it is also, it is also the, 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 the finish of the series that's going to complete our discipleship model here at the City Life Church that we're going to call The Way. Many of you are familiar with Praxis, but as, as you know, which is one of the reasons why we're selling these t-shirts, we've also we did a series called Doxa, we also did a series called Shema, and then we're going to be doing, again, Shalom in this series, then all four of those together, we're going to call that The Way, and I'm going to ex be explaining that to you in this message, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how far we get. Matthew 16, 24 to 28. Matthew 16, 24 to 28 reads this way. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you want to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. I'm going to explain to you what that means, what I believe it means, and what Jesus was referring to. That's the text for us tonight and why we're calling our discipleship model The Way. And if you've been with us through the summer, you know we did this series called Conversations. And in the message on Nicodemus, we, we introduced to you this slide that's going to pop up on the screen that we're calling The Story. Now, I'm not going to retell this tonight, but, but this is what we believe as a church is the story of the Bible. It, it answers the question of why we are here. It answers the question of why is there suffering in this life. It answers the question of what was heaven before Genesis began, and then it gives us a glimpse of what it will be one day when the Bible says that heaven and earth will pass away. There's going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and how we're supposed to be a part of that. That is, it's the story. And, and if you believe that Scripture is the story, then you can't help but believe that Jesus is the way. If we believe that Scripture and the Bible tells us the story, 
You, you can't read this without coming to the conclusion that Jesus is the way. He's the way. Now that phrase has some history to it. We know we refer to ourselves as do people all around the world and have for centuries, and I think it's not going to change, we're referred to as Christians, as Christians. But when that name came into existence, it was not a name that Christians chose for themselves. They, they chose to call themselves the way. Christians was a, a, a Gentile term or a Greek term, a non-Jewish term that was attached to people who were followers of Jesus. We see it used three times, specifically in the New Testament, Acts 11, 26, 26, 28, and then also in Peter 4, 16. It's only three times that the term Christians are, are used because the more popular term in the first century when the Bible was being written is that they were called the way. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Right? Did you know that? This is Travis Nix. I'm Fred Michaud. That's David Godwin. Jesus were to be introduced to you, Christ is not his last name. It's a description, or dare I say a declaration. Because Christ is a Gentile term or a Greek word that means the anointed. It, it, it was given to him as an acknowledgement that Jewish people believed, some of them, not all of them, believe that he is the promised Messiah of Scripture. And so there's no real concept for Messiah in the Gentile world, so they came up with this idea of the anointed. So he's called Jesus the Christ, which means Jesus the anointed, or Jesus the Messiah. That's how we come to know him as Jesus Christ. But the early church referred to themselves as the way. Now there's a reason for that. John 14, 6, I think this is part of it. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's, there's something about this idea of the way. In fact, in our text tonight, Jesus talking to his disciples said, you've got to give up your way and you've got to take on my way. Acts 9, 1 to 2, listen to this. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way that he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Now, this is an article out of Relevant Magazine from 2002. It said, being a follower of the way is not a path to travel, but rather a pattern to follow. Now, it's, it's, it's not saying it's not a path to travel when it comes to us going to heaven. We understand it's a path to travel when it comes to that. But what they're saying is it can't just be that. Christianity, the true sense of the way is that it's a pattern that we're supposed to follow in the sense that we're supposed to become like. In order to follow the way, we have to be like the way. We have to imitate the way. We need to pay careful attention to the life of the way and let people see that in us. Early Christians were not called Christians because they were pious people who lived morally superior lives with condescending attitudes towards their fellow man. God help us. They were called Christians or Christ-like ones because they imitated 
their leader, Christ, the anointed. They live lives of compassion and love and humility and patience and virtue. Let me share this thought with you. First century people who professed faith in Jesus as the Messiah were identified by names that placed a greater emphasis on becoming like Jesus and not just believing in Jesus. The names that they chose to give themselves, do beliefs matter? Sure they do. We're going to talk about that tonight. But the names that they chose to give themselves express more this idea of, I want to be like him. And it's interesting that when the world saw this growing religious sect that was happening, as they looked at it, it's interesting to me that the name that they came up with focused more on who they were becoming and a lot less about what they were believing. Beliefs matter. Beliefs matter. But if those beliefs that we have do not produce in us change, then we've got religious intellectualism, but when Jesus calls us, he calls us to the way. He calls us to the way. I want to read it again. 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my father, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you're going to lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world yet lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. That's even us. That's even us. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Let me tell you some things that the way requires of us or what the way speaks to us here in this text. In verse 24, the way demands change. The way of Jesus demands change. Jesus is saying to his disciples and he's saying to us, if you make a vow of devotion to me and nothing changes in your life, then maybe you've given intellectual assent to a belief system, but that's not what he's called us to. He demands change. The way of Jesus promises life, verse 25. That's what Jesus is saying here. I'm gonna, he said, I'm going to demand change of you, big change, life-altering change. But he's saying, I want you to know that if you're willing to give yourself to that change, you're going to find life like you never thought was possible. In fact, many of us, I know from my own story, one of the reasons why I resisted all the change that I knew that Jesus was demanding of me is because I thought it was going to make my life worth less. It was, going to, it was going to rob me of the good things. Every time Jesus tells us no, you've heard me say it many times, he's not robbing us of pleasure, he's protecting us from mediocrity. His promise to us, John 10.10, 10, is life to the fullest possible measure. He says, lay down all these things. Lay down all these things that you find meaning out of that are not consistent with this book and God's plan for your life. P pick up his way, and he says you will find life. Verse 26, Jesus says, and I want you to know that the way of Jesus, or my way, stands alone. It's not a way, it's the way. If you've got to travel to the other side of the water, you've got choices. You're pulling up your Waze or Google Maps or whatever you use, and you're checking the HRBT. I use, Google, I use the, the, the Apple Maps. Right? There's that big, thick red line if traffic's backed up. 
So then, right, you look at the monitor Mary Mac, you want to see is that, and then you're, right, if that's not, then you go to the JRB, you've you, you got options. You've got all different kinds of ways to get to where you want to go. Jesus says heaven is not like that. There, there are not choices and options. There, Jesus is not a way, he's the way, which means he's the only way. And not, is he the, not only is he the only way to heaven, He's the only way, which we're going to talk about some tonight, He's the only way for us to get ready for the heaven that's promised to us. Verse 27, He says He expects results. The way of Jesus expects results. Demands change. It promises life. It stands alone. He expects results. You and I one day are going to stand before Him. We're going to give an account for our lives. We're going to give an account for our lives. In verse 28, I love where he finishes up. So you've got to remember, this: the New Testament was not written yet, but Jesus knew that it was going to be written. He knew how it was going to be written, and he knew the order it was going to be put in. So when he was saying certain things at certain times in certain places, he knew where the text was going to go. So here at the end of Matthew 16, when he says there are going to be people, before they die, they're going to see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If you keep reading in the book of Matthew, when you get to 17, you get to the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus goes to the top of the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and they see him in a glorified state. And they see Moses and Elijah, which is an incredible biblical reference to the reality of life after death and eternity. I think Jesus ends his message on the way here in Matthew 16 with this incredible statement about what people are going to see because he wants us to know that the same thing that happened to him on the Mount of Transfiguration where he was changed and transformed, he's saying to you and to me, when you give yourself to this life of the way, there is a supernatural transformation that's going to take place inside of you that only heaven can do. That only God can do. But you know what else it tells us? You still got to be willing to walk up the mountain to get there. See, there is change that is supernatural that He's going to work in you, but you got to be willing to participate in the way that He requires you. People experienced incredible things as we were praying for them tonight. God did something supernatural to them, but you know what they had to do? They had to get up out of their seat. They had to walk here to the front. They had to deal with their fears. They had to deal with this idea of being conspicuous. They had to move. They had to participate. The same thing is true with discipleship. When you make a vow of devotion to Christ, heaven is promised to you. But we don't want you just to get to heaven. We want you to be ready when you get there. And getting ready to be there means that God wants to do all kinds of supernatural things inside of your life, but you got to do your part. And that's what the idea of discipleship is all about. I've told this story before, but it's been a long time. We had a, a dear friend that we knew back in Richmond. Her name was Connie. She grew up in New York City. I mean, like in the heart of the city. And she never learned how to drive. Never. Didn't have to. So when she, when she moved down here, she had to get a, a driver's license. She got married and she had kids and she, she had to be able to drive to, to, to get around, even in, in, a, in a city like Richmond. And so she was on her way to a job interview one morning. She's a, she's a brand new driver, brand new driver. So it's, if you've ever taught one of your children to drive, you understand there is the mechanics of driving, but then there is also the work of navigation. 
right? As children, right, at some point your children ask you this question. I ask ours, they come, how do you know how to get everywhere? Now, nowadays we say, I just follow this blue line that's on my phone. I don't, I don't really know where I'm going. But back then, there wasn't a blue line on a phone. You, you had to navigate. You had to know where you were going. You had to follow directions. So she's on her way to this interview, and she really doesn't know how to drive that well. She's got her driver's license. She's lost. She's driving sporadically on the highway, moving in and out of traffic. She's crying. And then all of a sudden, right, you know what's happening. A state trooper pulls up behind her and pulls her over. Comes up to the car. She's weeping in the car. Right? He doesn't know what he's, what's going on. And so she somehow gets out that she's a brand new driver, she's got a job interview, she doesn't want to be late, and that she's lost. Well, this person has incredible compassion for her, helps her to calm down, and then gives her very detailed directions, how much farther she's got to drive, what exit that she's got to get off at so that she can find her. This is a true story. He goes back to his car, he drives off, she pulls away, an hour later, an hour later, the state trooper still on Interstate 64, comes across Connie. And he's thinking to himself, surely this woman is still not lost, right? She's been getting off, getting back on, looping around. She's completely disoriented. She's still crying. She's still weaving in and out of traffic. He pulls her over a second time. This is a true story. I'm not embellishing it in any way. And he, and he comes up to her, right? Now it's an hour past her interview start. And, and he says this to her, ma'am, I'm gonna go back into my car and then I want you to follow me. He gets back into his car to the job interview that she's an hour late for. She pulls up with a state trooper escort. I know, I know, I know. Now, I don't think Connie got that job. I'm just saying I'm not sure you want to show up to your job interview an hour late with a police escort. That typically does not bode very well. But as I was praying over this message, I just... This story of Connie just kept coming back to me. And this is the thought that I have. This is the story of far too many Christians. It's just the story of far too many Christians. They, they want to get to heaven that's promised to them. Hey, I get it. I want to get there too. That's why I made a vow of devotion to Christ. That's why you made a vow of devotion to Christ. This is the question, though, that we've got to ask ourselves. Once we get there... Has our, have, have our lives just been consumed with arriving? Or have we taken time to look at some of the things that Jesus says to us about, will you be ready when you get there? That's what Paul's talking about when he says that there will be people in 1 Corinthians he says, just barely escaping the flames. I don't want to just barely escape the flames. Getting to heaven is by grace and grace alone. That's what we believe and teach here at City Life Church. By grace through faith in Christ. That's it. That's it. Heaven's promised to you at the point you make a vow of devotion to Christ. But the question that you and I should be asking ourselves is when I get there, have I invested my life in being ready? I don't want to be so distracted by am I going to make it? That's why the beauty of the doctrine of grace is so powerful. Because God says, let's just set all of that aside. See, that, that's the kind of doubt that the devil just, he just berates us with. No, no, no. I can't earn and deserve the heaven that's promised to me. So let's just set that aside. If you've made a vow to devotion to Christ, you're, you're, you're going to be there. Now let's spend the rest of our lives getting ready for the eternity that Jesus paid such a great price for us to have. 
There's a slide that's going to pop up on the screen. There's three words that should be familiar to you here at City Life. Praxis, Shema, Shalom, and Doxa. Praxis, Shema, Shalom, and Doxa. Praxis is talking about the way of Jesus' character. Shema is talking about the way of Jesus' obedience. Shalom, which is going to be this series, is talking about the way of Jesus' peace. And Doxa is talking about the way of Jesus' beliefs. This is it right here. This is, you, you have the opportunity to employ a strategy in your life to be ready for the heaven that's waiting for you. Jesus himself, why he was here, he says, don't live your life according to your ways. He says, live it according to my way. And I think what he was saying there is we study all of the teachings of Christ, as we study everything that the New Testament says about him and everything the Old Testament is, is prophesies about the coming of him, it's talking about us pouring out our lives so that we become like him in every way, so that we believe like Jesus believed, that we obey like he obeyed, that we act like he acted, that the virtues of Christ become present in us, and that the peace that Jesus knew is the peace that we would know and that we would have. Praxis, this idea of the way of Jesus' character. If I accept the one, then I must obey the six, and to obey the six, I must walk in the 12, and when I walk in the 12, I become the 24. If you've been a part of this church for any amount of time, you've heard me say that so many times. And the reason why we teach you that phrase is because we want you to understand that virtue isn't just going to grow inside of you by happenstance. If the character of Christ is going to form in you, then you've got to create a spiritually healthy environment for those virtues to come. 1 Corinthians 11.1 is where Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's the essence right there of the character of Christ forming in us. There's got to be some people that are a little bit farther along in their journey in Christ that you're walking with, and there should also be a few people that you're a little bit farther along that you're an example to yourself. And as we demonstrate the character of Christ to one another... It becomes contagious. And not only is the character of Christ demonstrated by how we observe one another, one another acting, but we also observe what we do in order for those virtues to grow. I believe there are six foundational commands to all that Jesus teaches. Follow Jesus, love God, love people, be perfect, go everywhere, and receive power. And the way in which I give myself in obedience to these commands are through what we call pathways. Scripture, worship, prayer, fasting, reaching, gathering, accountability, relationship, service, rest, generosity, and stewardship. Again, this is free for you if you don't have one. This lays out what praxis is for us and what it means here at City Life. As you give yourself to these pathways, you're walking in obedience to those commands. And as you walk in obedience to those commands, then you're imitating Christ. And the people that you're walking with should be imitating that process with you, and you should be imitating it to others. I'm a firm believer that the things in our lives that don't belong, the best way to get rid of them is to displace them by good things. Displace them. The virtues of Christ have a tendency to displace have a tendency to displace the inclinations of my humanity. Every time that you give yourself to these pathways, it's like a plant. It's got to be watered. It needs sun. It needs fertile soil. You're creating an environment for you for the character of Christ to grow. I want to read this list. We're going to have a band come back up, and I'm going to push the rest to next week. 
Listen to this list of virtues. Authentic, content, hospitable, truthful, persevering, wise, hopeful, loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, gentle, faithful, humble, grateful, merciful, honorable, principled, selfless, fervent, forgiving, believing, and self-control. That's an incredible list, isn't it? It's an incredible list. If words were colors, we just painted a portrait of the character of Christ through that list. And in the back of this book, we give you that list and a biblical reference to each of them. Those are the words that are supposed to describe who we are. And, And you know what's fascinating about character? This is part of the genius of God. You can have that character and your personality be completely different than someone else's. You can have that character and your passions in life are going to be completely different than someone else's. You can have that character and your ethnic, societal, cultural norms can be completely different from somebody else's. Character does not remove from this world the beauty of the diversity that God himself created. What it does, listen to me, is it gives, it gives substance to all of that diversity. It gives substance to all of that diversity. You and I, on our way to heaven, Jesus says to you and to me that we were created in this life, we were born into this life because he's making us ready for the one that's to come. I'm just asking the question. I know it's the church that I grew up in. All of the conversation spent so much time talking about where we're going to end up. Now, that's an important part of the conversation. We talk about it here. But is there also conversation and time spent on getting ready for the heaven that's waiting for us? Are you willing to do the work of getting ready for the eternity that Jesus paid the ultimate price for you to have? You cannot study and read the teachings of Christ and come to the conclusion that his view of this life and this experience was just, it doesn't matter what happens here as long as you get there. There's none of that in the teaching of Christ. He tells us about heaven. He tells us how we're going to get there so that that can be settled, so that the rest of our days can be spent becoming the person that God has created us to be. Because the person that he's created us to be is connected to the purpose that he has for us there. Are you getting ready for the heaven that's waiting for you? When you and I stand before God at the end, stand with me. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, listen to this. This is sobering. This is what it says. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil that we have done in this earthly body. Those are sobering words, are they not? Sobering words. Sobering words. There is no greater good than you can do than to give your life to becoming like Christ in every way. There's no greater good. In fact, I would argue if you give yourself to that ultimate purpose, every other good thing that you're supposed to find in this life, you're going to find on the road to that end. 
That, that's what Jesus meant when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added unto you. He, he's saying if you pursue the right things, everything else that God has for you, what, what does the Bible tell us? That every good and perfect gift comes from our Father in heaven. Every good and perfect gift that God has for you is on the road to your devotion to becoming like Christ in every way. In every way. Father, I pray for people tonight that they would have a vision for their future that's more than just where they're going to end up after they die. Father, just let's, let's let that be settled. That people here tonight watching from home, if they've never made a vow of devotion to Christ, they're going to make it tonight. Whether it's coming forward to pray with some of us, they're going to be down here at the altar at the end of the service, or if they're online, they're going to hit that button and go into a, a, a private prayer room with one of the hosts. Let's just settle that. What, what eternity is going to be for them, let's just get that settled tonight. Get that settled tonight. So that the rest of their journey can be digging deep and doing the heavy lifting into Jesus, what you've called us to. That we would certainly know the story. But because we know the story, God, that we would be inspired to live the way. To live the way. Jesus, we want to act like you acted. We want to believe like you believed. We want to obey like you obeyed. And we want to have the peace that you say passes all understanding. We want to look like you and be like you in every way. Because we know that there is no greater way to prepare for the heaven and the eternity that waits for us than to become like the one who died for us so we could be there with you for all eternity. In Jesus' name. Come on, and everybody said, amen. Hey, I just want to invite you, if you're going to stay here in the sanctuary, if you could just maintain an attitude of worship, if you want to hang out and talk and socialize, if you could do that either in the the, the, the foyer there or possibly outside. It's beautiful outside. There's also a, a big hallway down here. There's going to be prayer teams here at the front. This is how we close every service. If you're here, if you're here, if, you, if you're watching from online and you need prayer, there's hosts that'll pray for you and then those of us that'll be down here. If, if you came tonight and you want prayer and you're trying to figure out, listen, the people you came with, they will wait for you. They don't leave this moment if you feel like God is moving in your heart. I want to say this too. If you felt like you were supposed to come to one of these stations earlier and you did not do it, then we're going to keep them open for you. You come. We'll see you next week.